Welcome to the Dead Lady Show podcast. I'm Susan Stone. The Dead Lady Show is dedicated to celebrating forgotten and also infamous women who achieved amazing things against all odds while they were alive. The show is recorded in front of an audience at Akud in Berlin, and here on the podcast, we bring you a special selection of talks from these events. Today, we're doing things a little differently. This episode's lady is Mai Ayim. She was a Berliner, an Afro-German poet, and an important activist. Dead Lady Show co-founder Katie Darbyshire told her story at a recent event, and there was a little problem with the recording, so we're taking this as an opportunity to have her tell it again just for you. We also have a special guest later in the program. We'll be hearing from Mara Sanaga, an award-winning poet, author, and spoken word artist. She says Mai Aim inspired much of her work, including many poems, articles, and essays that would not exist without her. So stay tuned for that special conversation. But first, welcome Katie, and please tell us a bit about yourself. Hi Susan. It's strange telling you about myself. Because <laughs> I mean, I know it all. But... We're friends. We've been friends for a while. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm a literary translator. I translate uh, contemporary German writers into English, and I do some other work. And I've been doing the Dead Lady Show for, oh, I think about coming up for two years now. Originally, I enjoyed sharing the writers I love, but now I enjoy telling people about these inspiring ladies. You also are, I would say, almost an activist for German literature, which I think is great. Uh, an enthusiast, maybe, is more fair, even. But um, I want to tell people about a book that you translated that uh, was recently announced on the long list of a special award. That's exciting news, yes. Um, the book is called Bricks and Mortar by Clemens Meyer. And it's long listed for the International Dublin Literary Award. Sounds very imp impressive. It is impressive, but there are also 149 other books from all over the world long listed for that prize. So, you know, I'm pleased and very happy, but I'm not spending my, my winnings quite yet. Well, uh, reading is certainly something that you love to do, as do I. Um, and you're a dedicated reader and, uh, as I said, promoter of um, German uh, authors and German writing uh, in English, which is which is great. And we are talking today about a German writer who has also been translated into English. And uh, she's primarily a poet, but also wrote essays and other works. And um, it's kind of a sad story. A lot of our stories do have sad elements, and there are glorious elements to my story too but I do just want to say to people that if for any reason you're quite sensitive to issues surrounding mental illness and ending one's life then this might not be the episode for you but I hope that you will listen anyway and at least then find uh, Maya Aim's poetry we'll just spell her name out for you it's M-A-Y-A-Y-I-M and here's Katie talking about Mai. This is really just an introduction to Maya Ayim for you today. She's a woman who had and still has really quite a presence in Berlin. Um, when we did the show, there were a couple of people in the audience who'd been friends with her, but a lot of the English speakers hadn't heard of her. So Maya Ayim was born in 1960 in Hamburg to a young white German woman, Ursula Antler, and her father was Emmanuel Ayim who was a Ghanaian medical student at the time and later became a professor in Kenya. 
She was put into a children's home, and then in 1962 she was fostered by the Orpids family. They were a white family and they gave her their surname. You'll notice that I'm talking about my Ayim the whole time because she took her father's name as a pen name later on after her strict family weren't really very happy with what she was writing. And, you know, she may have wanted to reinvent herself like we all attempted to do sometimes, I think. She had sporadic contact with her father and she met her mother once as an adult. And let me just get this part over with. She committed suicide in 1996. But let me let her introduce herself first of all. My name is Mai Ayim. I was born in Germany, in Hamburg, and grew up in smaller West German cities. And since 1984, I live in Berlin. My background is Ghanaian and German, so my father studied in Germany, but I grew up in a white German foster family and in orphanages, but most of the time in the foster family. So that was Mai. That was her gorgeous voice that you heard there. It was taken from the film Hoffnung im Herz by Maria Binder, which you can find on the internet. <clears throat> anyway, Mai moved to Berlin in 1984 and loved it. She became a poet and an activist, and now I'm going to play you a little clip of her doing both those things at the same time. Grenzenlos und unverschämt. Ein Gedicht gegen die deutsche Scheinheit. Ich werde trotzdem afrikanisch sein, auch wenn ihr mich gerne deutsch haben wollt. Und werde trotzdem deutsch sein, auch wenn euch meine Schwärze nicht passt. Ich werde noch einen Schritt weiter gehen, bis an den äußersten Rand, wo meine Schwestern sind, wo meine Brüder stehen, wo unsere Freiheit beginnt. Ich werde noch einen Schritt weiter gehen und noch einen Schritt weiter und wiederkehren, wann ich will. Wenn ich will, grenzenlos und unverschämt bleiben. That was the poem Grenzenlos und Unverschämt, which is translated as borderless and brazen. And I promise that's the last long piece of German in this little presentation. Um, in it, she, she states her position as an Afro-German in the wake of reunification. We'll come back to that. And one of the things she's saying is that she's German and African and that she's part of German culture, whether the racists like it or not, and that she'll come and go as she pleases. And I think that's still a really important message and something that we can really aspire to. But how did she get to that position where we saw her there, or heard her, in fact? <laughs> um, in the mid-1980s, when she just moved to Berlin, my met Audrey Lord in Berlin, who was a guest lecturer at the Freie Universität at the time. You will probably have heard of her if you're listening to this. At her introductionary lecture in Berlin, she said of herself, Audrey Lord, I, black, lesbian, mother, feminist, warrior, poet, I am here to do my work. So Lord encouraged uh, my Ayim and another woman called Katarina Oguntuya to publish a book which they co-edited with Dagmar Schultz. I've got it right here. No, I haven't. <laughs> I've got some other ones right here though too. And it's called Farbe bekennen, Afro-Deutsche Frauen auf den Spuren der Geschichte. And they published it, it came out in, in German in 1986. And you can read it in English too. It's published as Showing Our Colours. Afro-German Women Speak Out, and was translated by Anne V. Adams. Now, this was a groundbreaking publication, 
About a third of it was my diploma thesis, which was about the history of black Germans going right back to the Middle Ages. And that was the first time anyone had done that. The book also featured interviews and discussions with Afro-German women of all generations about their lives and their histories and some of my poems. It was a real game changer in terms of three big things in my work. Three things that I make out when I'm read, reading her work are representation, memory and words. The book wrote black women into German history and made them visible for the first time. Germany does have a colonial history and there have been black people here for centuries as the book showed but both those things tended to get swept under the carpet and still do today. So many women and men have benefited from the book since then and it's still really relevant. Mai became a sought-after speaker and performer and she began traveling widely. She went to Senegal, Brazil, South Africa, Canada, the UK, Finland, Cuba, the USA and glamorous Belgium, among other places. She was a co-founder of what was called the Initiative Schwarze Deutsche in 1986. Uh, which meant the Initiative of Black Germans, and it's now called the Initiative Schwarze Menschen in Deutschland, to include people who might not have German nationality but are still black in Germany. You can find their website at isdonline.de, and they're still working today to, um, representing black interests in Germany, supporting black projects, highlighting and fighting discrimination and racism. What they were doing in the mid-80s was... A key part of that was coming up in discussions with the term Afro-Deutsch or Afro-Germans as a positive description to replace the racist terms that had previously been used. And Mai really made that word her own, Afro-German. She wrote two really darkly funny poems with that title. So at 1986 was a busy year. My Ayim also went to Ghana for a three-month work camp. And while she was there, she ended up more or less coincidentally meeting her Ghanaian family with mixed feelings. I think it was a difficult situation, but she came close to some of her family members. There's a great photo, we'll put it on the show notes, of her with her grandfather, Ruben Ansar Aim, aged 80. And she wrote about their parting. When I said goodbye, my grandfather gave me a loving wink and looked both serious and expectant as he told me not to think so much about Germany. It was better to think of him, he said, of Ghana, and to bring back a little of the light that the whites had carried away from Africa. I'm not sure what of that light can be carried back, nor what can be made of it, here or there. She was a thinking woman. Another aspect of her work that was important was, was working on memory. And she talked and wrote about Afro-German women who came before her. She dedicated poems to them and to other role models like Audre Lorde. Obviously, that speaks to me as a fan of dad ladies. One of the women uh, my included in, in Showing Our Colours was Fazia Jansen, who was born in Hamburg in 1929. She was the daughter of a Liberian diplomat and a German maid. She had to perform forced labour in a concentration camp under the Nazis, but later became a singer-songwriter and a peace activist. In the show notes, I'm going to put a beautiful <laughs> super 70s photo of Fazia Jansen playing the accordion with some really super grumpy looking children. I love that photo. Music, speaking of accordions, music was very important to my 
and you can tell that if you read her poetry collections one of her own dead ladies if you like was the gospel singer Mahalia Jackson and uh, her poem about Mahalia was published after my death I'm gonna I just did a very quick translation of it which I'm going to read to you now Mahalia sounds in my ear she has the voice of the blues velvet and deep like the river on the banks on the other side of life slavery exile crime consolation generations old women and children died remembered reborn women and men in one person mahalia's voice rises to the heavens swims to the bank of death sounds in my ear undying people smile and pray call out a song to my heart mahalia an echo from history the future mahalia love hope and pain mahalia blues in flesh and blood written in 1995 let me just gather up my notes here a little bit okay so we're gonna moving moving on a little bit we're gonna hear Maya again talking about how she wrote poetry if i say that i'm a poet people say oh no poetry i can't stand it because the way you learn poetry in school at the end of school you have learned to hate poetry and in Germany, it's always um, very um, elite. See, only a small circle of people is into poetry, and then they read from their papers, and very serious, and often you don't get the message. I mean, what is this poem all about? So my way of writing has always been, I want to, to get a message across, and I want it to be understood. And I recite my poetry without reading it. I just speak to people. But for that, I don't have any role model in Germany rather outside Germany, in, you know, in the United States, or in Britain, or even here in South Africa, it's, there is a strong tradition of oral history, of oral poetry, and I think in almost all African countries. So my first book of poetry, Blues in Schwarzweiß, which I do have here, uh, was published in 1995. And it gained my a lot more recognition, including in, in white literary circles. She gave all these TV interviews and she read poetry all around Germany. Her work used a lot of wordplay, which apparently she loved off the page as well. And it includes moving pieces exploring her memories of childhood and encounters with racism. There are angry poems, there are love poems. It's funny and ironic. And in English, you can read a collection of her poems and, and her, including essays and conversations translated again by Anne V. Adams. It's called Blues in Black and White. And I really recommend you look that up and read her work. Words were so important to my, and she also campaigned for German speakers to think about their words and how they used them and how they could hurt people. Maria Binder's film, His Hoffnung im Herz, includes a video clip of my silently eating what we now call a Schaumkuss, which is a kind of a sickly sweet chocolate coated marshmallow treat that used to have this overtly racist name. I'm not going to play it for the podcast because all you can hear is traffic. Um, <laughs> but she's standing outside Mohrenstraße station in Berlin as she eats this sweet. My wrote about how the station was renamed after reunif reunification. It was called Tillmannstraße after a dead man, communist man. Uh, it was renamed to the original racist name, meaning something like Moore Street. 
And she called that a sure sign that racist language and corresponding thinking is tolerated and traditional even at the highest white ranks of the New Republic. Now the campaign to rename that street is still going on, unfortunately, but at least that questionable chocolate treat she uh, enjoyed quite visibly in the, in the clip is no longer has the offensive name. Mai also trained as a speech therapist and she wrote her thesis about ridding teaching material of racist terms and images, which is another thing people are still working on in Germany. Reading her essays and her academic writing, I felt that a few things have changed since uh, she was working in Germany, but many of the issues she's raised are actually still horrifyingly relevant. Another thing I wrote about was the psychological strain of racism in general. She'd studied psychology and her own struggles to maintain her mental health. Early in 96, she went into a psychiatric hospital and she was put on medication for depression. She was released, but that summer she suffered a lot of strain of organising Black History Month and she went back to hospital. While she was there, for some reason she was taken off her medication and then diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and sent home. So although she had a lot of support from friends, life just became too much for her. Mai was a woman for whom words were really important. She worked with a speech therapist with MS patients and she felt she, was, she had lost her words. She committed suicide on the 9th of August 1996 by jumping from a 13th floor window. After her death, a new collection of her poems, Nachtgesang, was published. It was compiled by Ekpenyong Ani. I know it's easy to read too much into writing when we know that somebody killed themselves after they wrote it, but actually the book does contain a lot of dark poems. It's about burning refugee homes in the wake of reunification. It's about autumn and winter. There are difficult friendships. There's a lost love. And the title poem ends... I love you, I won't wait anymore. The last poem in that gazang is called Abshid, meaning farewell. In it, Mai thinks about her last words and her last deeds and her last wishes. What should the last thought be? Thank you, thank you. Well, Mai Aim had an incredible legacy as an agent of change. There's a great book came out 20 years after her death is called Sisters and Souls, Inspirations Through My Ayim, edited by Natasha A. Kelly. It's a collection of Afro-German women remembering their first encounters with her and her effect on their lives and work. It really, really looks to the future. And if you read German, find this book, read it. I really recommend it. Let me read you a piece from Mai's poem, Remembering Audrey Lord. It's called Soul Sister, and I think it fits here. We mourn the death of a great black poet, a sister, friend, and sister in arms. Her work lives on. In her works, our visions carry experiences of her words. As I said, she's had a great legacy, and she now has her own street in Berlin called My Aim Ufa which is a short but sweet little road right by the river in Kreuzberg. 
I think that would make her laugh. I think she would be triumphant and happy about that. And once again, of course, that name change was the result of years of anti-racist campaigning because it, the road used to be named after the German colonialist Otto Friedrich von der Grüben, who has a long list of crimes to his name. There is another dedication to her by another poet and a friend that I'd like you to listen to if you're getting a chance. And I think it's a really fitting tribute. It's Linton Kwesi Johnson's song, uh, Reggae for My Aim. And in it, he thanks her for her life and her light and her memory. I think it's a great song. Mai's work is still really influencing people to write and campaign and take action inside and outside of Germany. And that's a great thing. And I hope you have a chance to look up her work and listen to her poetry or read it or take inspiration from Mai Ayim's impressive life. Thank you. Katie Darbyshire on the life of Mai Ayim. Here with me to talk a bit more about Mai's work and legacy in Germany and beyond is Mara Sanaga, also known as Chantal Sanchon. She is an award-winning poet, author, and spoken word artist, and also writes nutrition books and is the mom of a young daughter. She is an Afro-German Berliner and has been involved in the black community for many years. Amongst other publications, she contributed to the books Afroshop and Black Berlin, where she wrote about Mai Aim. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Hi. Mara, you wrote to me that Mai Aim inspired much of your work. When did you first learn about Mai? Mm, that was probably in my teens, because I was um, very much involved in the black community in Berlin from, I think, when I was 11 or 12. So I really met her work very early on. That was a real fortune because I really felt like, well, it spoke to me in so many different ways, especially as a teenager at that time. And just for once, finding words for what you feel and finding them in such a poetic way. And was this something that you learned about um, through friends or was it ever talked about in school, her work? No, not at school. I think I did a lot of like alternative education for myself. I was just involved in, for instance, in a um, newspaper for um, black teenagers, which was called Blight. It was a project by the ISD, the Initiative Schwarze Menschen in Deutschland. We just educated each other in a way, and we got a lot of really good role models. Um, we met Katharina Ogontoje a lot. I met Ekpen Yongani, um, editor at um, Olanda Verlag. That just helped a lot to learn about my yim, to learn about our history as well, and um, the history of black Germans um, in, for instance, um, NS time. And, and NS, we mean National Socialism or Nazi era. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is kind of one of the only things people really know about German history, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Outside of Germany. Yeah. Uh, you were born in Berlin and grew up here in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. um, we talked a little bit about your reading her writings, but how did uh, some of the things she talked about connect with your actual experiences? I found it very interesting that still until today, a lot of what she wrote feels very much up to date, which is a little bit unfortunate. But for me as a writer, it's also a relief because I feel like she did a lot of groundwork for us. I don't have to repeat all of that. I don't have to stay at, oh, they touched my hair, which is very important. And we have to talk about that. And 
like all of us have to deal with these experience of everyday racism and um, just being yeah, presented as the other and outside of this German context. But she did a lot of the work that I don't have to repeat. I feel like there are these great poems like Afro-German 1 and Afro-German 2, for instance. So um, I can rely on these. I have the space that she created. And, and how do you see um, the Afro-German experience today? I mean, as we said, it's still, there's a, a lot of work to be done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, as always, I think there is um, a lot of progress, but there's also a lot of, um, a lot of experiences where you just feel like, wow, we're still there. So um, like, for instance, my child, which is also um, Afro-German, of course, and um, just it's very interesting how different we have like people position us so differently because she's she has a darker skin but she has more straight hair so she usually is positioned somewhere closer to India from white people in Germany and it's just very interesting how people just keep repositioning us without us asking for it and how interesting um, it is for them to know or they have to know about where you are really from And that is still happening. And you feel like, wow, that's um, 2017. I can't believe that. Yeah, stuff like that still happens. You know, people telling me I have a Spanish accent <laughs> when I speak in German, which is um, the only language where I don't have an accent. Yeah, we still have a lot of everyday racism and also a lot of positive racism as well. I think you see more and more that light-skinned black people are more and more like fashionable nowadays nowadays and um, there's this positive idea of being different and being so-called exotic. I mean it's still all mixed up with having experiences of racism that attack you personally. Everybody knows somebody who has been in some kind of really life-threatening situation as well. So you still know there are areas where you wouldn't go um, in Germany and even close to Berlin or even in Berlin. Yeah, all of that is very sad. But then I also see, I see my daughter who goes to um, an Afro-German kindergarten we started. I see all of them together now being very young and being like the next, next, next generation. I see that still there's a lot happening, like this reality they have now. And even the people I meet in their 20s now, they just still have a little of a different um, kind of self-esteem that we had to work for more. It's just more given for them to have black role models to know um, black people they look up to and to just see black faces wherever they go in a way so um that makes a big difference do we do we know how many afro germans there are in germany no we don't because here in germany we have this well we don't have any statistics that are based on race because yeah germany is very afraid of talking about race because of um, its history. There are some numbers where they say, okay, there are about 500,000 black people, but I don't really know on what that is based because if, as long as you don't openly talk about race and also on how do you define black people? Is that only people who do not have a, who do have um, a different passport, like an African passport, then it's a very screwed number. You only get, um, black Africans and you would probably also get some white Africans in that number so yeah there is no information about okay who defines as black who defines as mixed race who would define as Asian and um, who also defines as German 
because it's not like exclusive, which is an idea a lot of people do have in Germany that you are either black or African or you are German. And, and this is a legacy of the of the Nazi era that was, in a sense, designed to prevent abuse of these kinds of figures. But in fact, I think, I mean, do you feel that maybe it takes a little bit the power away when we don't know what are the numbers of groups who have strength? Yeah, I, I definitely do think so. Because, for instance, I feel like right now, black people in Germany, we do have numbers. And I do think it's much more than 500,000 people. For instance, just the fact that we don't really have a lot of books, like children books, with black protagonists. But we do have a lot of black children. And also a lot of black children who are mixed race and who may not have a lot of um, black role models in their immediate surroundings, like in their family, who grew up in mainly white families. And I do think that's really an issue if you don't talk about that. And you do have that in all communities. You have that in the Turkish German community, you have that in the Arab, Arabic German community and all those communities of color. But as long as there are no numbers, you can also not say, hey, we do matter, we're here. And it's not just a small number, but more people do want books that include people of color and that are not based on racist stereotypes. As long as you don't have those numbers, it's very easy to say, okay, those people who are complaining, for instance, about representation or about some figures in a in a movie that are represented in a racist way. As long as you don't have those numbers, you also can't say, well, it's just very easy for the majority to say, okay, those are just very few people who don't have anything else to complain about. And it's just, yeah, PC talk. So it would be good to know. <laughs> and in terms of, of role models, it sounds like Mai was really a, a role model for you. Yeah, definitely. She. Um, I've never met her personally, but yeah, I've met a lot of people who who were very close to her. Also, the way they talk about her gave me an experience of her spirit as well as of her personality. Just having her poems, and not just her poems, but also academic work. Yeah, as I said, that's really like groundwork for me as well. I really enjoyed, or I really um, appreciate how she was able to, to use German in a way that made it her own to make our experiences so poetic as well and to not limit herself to, for instance, just being in a way a report of racism, like we're always reduced to that. But um, she said, okay, I'm not just going to talk about racism. I'm very multifaceted and I have poems about um, love. I have poems about emotions and feelings and the future. And um, I just love that about her, how she just chose to be everything like everything she is what do you think my would think about today's berlin and today's germany oh <laughs> hmm. it's a good question i think she would really appreciate and also celebrate the steps we have made like having my yimufa for instance which is also i would say a community effort yeah i think she would still write very powerful poems about a lot of the hypocrisy as well that is happening. Although, like right now, it looks like we have moved forward a lot and there's a lot of progress, but there's still like this whole situation where everywhere there's this move to the right, for instance. <clears throat> this idea of the the middle ground or the 
like the German majority that does consider themselves to be not racist, to be not um, part of the right, who still has a lot of spots they don't identify about themselves and a lot of everyday racism um, that just goes unnoticed. Yeah, I think there would be great poems about that. It's hard to imagine <laughs> what that would look like. Maybe we would have a YouTube channel by Maya Yim, which I would enjoy very much. Thank you so much, Maya. Thank you very much. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about Mara Sanika's work and Mai Aim's work and other ladies of renown at our website, deadladyshow.com. If you have suggestions or comments for us, please do drop us an email, info at deadladyshow.com. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at deadladies and subscribe to the show and rate us on iTunes or your podcast venue of choice. Support for this episode of The Dead Lady Show comes from the Berliner Senat.